0: this is Francis Lombard, and welcome back to Portrait of an Editor. In this episode, I connect with my friend Chuck Austin regarding his series Edgeworld, which relaunched a few months back. Three new issues from this new arc are already available. Of course, sticking with the show's central theme, Chuck and I do talk about Felix Horn's editorial contribution to what Chuck, Patrick Olyph, Lee Lowenbridge, and... Jody Wynn have have delivered this time around. We also talk about how binge-watching has changed writers' approach to scripting and pitching, and we also trade a few stories about pitching and animation, and how and what keeps Chuck writing when projects die on the pitching vine. Enjoy! Chuck, welcome back to... Well, portrait of an editor, <laughs> no, even though you're not really an editor, but it's, it's been two years uh, since we talked about Edgeworld. And so just because wow. it's my podcast, I can now talk about the new run of Edgeworld and wanted to catch up with you. And you're actually going to be, I think the first person I talked to about uh, a comiXology series um, ever since sort of the whole bloodletting that just occurred at comiXology. And I'm disappointed by it because the original comicsology. Because everybody, including talking to you, talking to Will Dennis a lot, of, a lot on and off air, even talking to Scott Snyder and a whole bunch of. I've had other editors too. I had Biss on a while back. You introduced me to her, and she. Yeah. I'm glad to see her back editing Edge World. Um, that it just seems to you know what Chip had done and what was being done over there at comiXology. It was a great thing. It was a nice thing. Um, you know, they were willing to put money into conventions. They were willing to have a page rate for creators uh, for original, original stuff, not yeah. another bunch of guys in tights beating the crap out of each other. Um, male f- fantasy wish fulfillment. I-, I just really different stuff. And there were some things I, really thought were terrible, but there are other things that I was reading throughout comiXology um, because I have a, a prime, you know, I have Amazon prime, so I'm able to read that for, you know, pretty much as much as I want that were just like, wow, I'm glad this medium is doing something. And, you know, even before I started the podcast, when we were just hanging out in Burbank, talking on times, so, you know, comiXology and the originals seem to be, you know, like you and, that approach to making comics was like a match made in heaven for you because of your talk about digital back in the yachts and stuff. And, and, yeah. and in the previous podcast, we had about how you enjoy sort of the guided view and just everything. So welcome back and welcome nice. back edge world. What's the run. I mean, let's get that out of the way. Let's talk. What are you doing on this run? How long is it? And you know, what can people expect as you continue to build a world and, and have you know even more craziness and pretty intense stories at times from what i've i've read up to thank you uh i been been really enjoying it pat
1: and i have just loved the hell out of it Mm -hmm. it's not it's obviously not making us rich but we're having a great time and honestly you can't ask for much more than that but uh, as far as what you can expect we just keep building out the world you know past and future and present um by centering it around uh uh you know, we try to get a one-and-done or a two-and-done story just to try to keep the story, because I'm, I'm very story-centric. But we, we loved building out this kind of insane, um, I guess you'd call it like a post-Civil War world, where, uh, it, I mean, it's a, we, we talk about it all the time as kind of a science fiction Western. But in a lot of ways, it really was based on sort of that post time period of the wild west where it was right after the civil war and there was a lot of uh you know people still running around in, in old uniforms and there were the native americans to to, to uh um uh, as a part of this big expansive story and uh the same way that we have the palins as sort of the oppressive species on the on their own planet um so it's been it's been fun it's there's a, a a richness and a depth to it that in a lot of ways, well, I don't think we even expected to get to when we first started on it. It's been a blast. I
0: really enjoy it. And well, seeing we've had Biss on it, I just mentioned her, I mean you in the last podcast where she really sort of guided you guys in like determining on what stories to tell first, you know, I know there yeah. was a conversation between <clears throat> you actually had written, you thought one story should have been the first one and she, no, let's start with this one. Um, what was her involvement in this one? Because now it does feel like the world, just from, you know, the, the start with is it issue six? You're starting with issue six, so issue six, seven, and eight are available right now, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. It, it just seemed like the world's getting much. How did how did you guys decide to go with what was in six and what you know was there a similar conversation with your your editor to with that launch?
1: Uh, Yeah. Um, And actually, I I need to uh, sort of clarify something. Uh, Biz is now Felix. Oh. And and so Felix was very instrumental in, again, in helping to kind of uh, help to guide this thing. In a lot of ways, what Felix did was to take the, the... concept and say let's look at it as a whole as a whole story as opposed to originally the idea was that we could tell any story at any time we wanted to by having this this sort of time frame of of the historian looking back on this past Uh that he wanted to know more about and biz said actually if we tell that in in a in a more linear way we'll get everybody more emotionally involved in the characters as things happen to them as opposed to sort of bouncing around and you know, emotion is my, that's my thing, that's my language. So uh, it was, it definitely resonated with me to go in that direction. So that's what I was doing. Um, that's what really business or Felix now was instrumental in helping us to kind of do. And also being a, a huge science fiction fan, loved the, the, sort, of, um, the sort of strangeness of the, of the world at the same time as it had a, a strong sense of familiarity uh, it's just the same kind of thing that I hear from Bryce our new editor at, at Comixology, and I used to hear from chip they just, they used to talk about the world building and the, the kind of the attention to detail and and how the world exists very differently than other science fiction worlds and it's not something that I really expected to get into but biz really helps to to kind of guide that and so and I am forever in in
0: now Felix's death and Did you, as with the world building, how do you have, is there a Bible for that? Did you start with a Bible about the world or did you, has that been evolving as you, you know, finish one arc and then come back to start up another arc? Do you just keep filling it and maybe erasing some things and, you know, going, okay, this is the direction, this is the world, because, yes, the, the world building, when I was just prepping for this, is just, there's so much under that. I mean, it feels like a Western, sometimes it has the Western, you know, the visuals of a Western, but there's a lot of technology that seems to, you know, unfold a lot. You know, you get hints of it earlier on, and then you start seeing more and more about what you know, the rate species are you know are capable with technology um you know how, how where how do you approach the world building i guess is the, 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 the simple question <laughs>
1: <laughs> well the the way it started was i mean it's all it's it all of that is pat and i working together in medicine. Yeah. so the way it started initially was um, i had this i had this sort of crazy idea where i said uh uh, Pat and I were looking for something to work on together and we, you know, we'd been wanting to do something together for years and nobody would buy anything that we had to, that we had put together. So uh, everything that we had tried was sitting in a drawer. We've got about four other ideas that are sitting in drawers right now because uh, nobody was interested. And then he said, well, what else have you got? You know, is there something else that might reach people? I said, no, I got this weird quirky, uh, gun smoke in space idea that I've always wanted to do. And, and he knew what gun smoke is because he's my age but Chip uh, kept telling us we had to stop using gun smoke as an example because so most people have never heard of it and he's right it's so bizarre uh,
0: uh, it was only the longest-running television show, I think, exactly. it's, and it started out – it's so long, it started out as a radio show. <laughs> it did, yeah.
1: That's exactly right. And then it was so popular that it ran as a radio show and as a television show simultaneously. Oh, wow.
0: I didn't even know that part. Okay.
1: Yeah, with, with two entirely different, different casts of characters, although the writers were largely the same.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, okay.
1: Yeah, some of those radio programs are intense. I mean, you think that some of the early TV shows are intense, but but those are the things that were really inspiring to me. Was the the if you anybody who is familiar with the old show as it as it progressed, television became more and more constrained. They had more and more rules. They had more and more standards and practices getting involved and saying you can't. And you got to the point where Matt Dillon couldn't kill anybody. (laughs) So. Um, and he's supposed to be the sheriff of the town fighting the bad guys. Um, so uh, I, I and I had watched that with my grandmother and grandfather when I was young and a lot all the time. But then when I discovered the old black and white half an hours, I was just blown away because they were so intense and so surprising. The stories were just shocking and jarring. And, and they wrote about this world that I, I had never considered as a Western world before. And so I said, "Look, I kind of I told Pat I kind of want to do something like that—something sort of dark and edgy, and and but funny and interesting with quirky characters and and you know a little throwback to all that kind of stuff." And he just loved it. He found, he started doing sketches right away. He sent me stuff, and so we started building it out as we went. I said I'd kind of like to base it on on that that beginning of the frontier and that this this town, this planet is right at the edge of the frontier, kind of the way Dodge City was back in in the old West States, where it was kind of the stopping point for everybody just before they went out West, wherever out West was going to be. And so that was the original goal. And the more that we started playing around with it and the more that we, like, I really love um, uh, playing with, uh, like science fiction at its best to me is when it talks about, it's like the Rod Serling thing where you're, you're talking about, contemporary issues through the lens of science fiction. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I I just wanted to do a bunch of little Rod Serling twilight zone episodes within this thing. So we started doing that and, and I just was trying to come up with as many weird and and surprising stories as I could, that just got Pat excited and he would get excited and send me back notes and suggestions. And I would rewrite the script. So we had about, I had about, I think about eight or nine scripts written before we even edged it to anybody and um so I, I wouldn't say that we actually had a bible at that point but but it was essentially being built because every story was weird and different and unusual and set up a, a different part of the of the, uh, the the cultures and the worlds that were involved and um and it just kept getting deeper and richer and then came up with the idea of uh in essence what um what Killian's kind of life mission was, and how the past affects that, and how it affects the future of the planet, and that's kind of when everything sort of locked in. And as I was talking to to Biz at the time about that, um, she got super excited and and said, "You gotta you gotta really play this stuff up because that's that's really to me." She said that to me is where it's, it really gets unique and interesting. So. So that's when Pat and I actually started building out a Bible. He had done enough sketches of, of the characters and the secondary characters and aliens and the street scenes and the spaceships that we started kind of assembling a Bible of our own of of what the world was. And and I needed to do it to keep things straight because there were there were there's the period where Killian was a soldier, which we only see snippets of. Yeah. He fights against various different races on mm-hmm. various different worlds before he winds up on Pala. Uh, fighting, fighting a squid-headed, uh, like an octopus-headed alien group that is um, trying to take over the, take over palace so that they can control the rift gate, and then when there were the soldiers that he worked with, and and the, the woman that he winds up marrying as as a soldier, and then how all of that stuff ended and led to where they are now. So I had to, in order just for me to keep it straight and to be able to communicate it to Pat, I started. We started putting it kind of together in a bit of a bible. And that's what we wound up putting together, even uh, in a more coherent fashion for, for the Amazon pitch that we did. So,
0: now you've been involved in a, a bunch of shows, and on for animation. Yep. Is it does it feel? I mean, I guess it's really one thing when I'm looking from the outside in, and sort of that I know a bit about how the sausage is made when it comes to a show. Does it feel like you're you're doing the same kind of work of? you have to write it down because you just can't keep everything in your head. Um, You know, or, or do you try to keep everything in your head? Is that, uh, and how does that affect the writing that you do later?
1: Um, It, it, it affects, it only affects for me. It's all about the story always. So if something changes the history of the, of the, of the Bible, because it's a, it's a better story then I'll make that adjustment as I come along down the line. Oh, okay. You will I don't do. Do Yeah, I don't keep myself anchored into the Bible as it was. In fact, if I go back and look at the pitch Bible that we sent in, it's very different from where the series wound up. So um, things change. And Pat and I, you know, we'll talk stuff out. I'll talk stuff out with Biz. Uh, or in, in the case of, the, of um, uh, some of the newer material that we were working on, we were working, on, we were working with a new editor. Um, uh, because Biz needed to take some time off for the, the transition to to uh, and some of the, some illnesses that he was dealing with, he mm-hmm. feelings. So um, so we had a, a another editor who was terrific and really great, um, but not really involved in I think these three these five issues of actual so much other than I think just helping us get the last one delivered maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, but, you know, you, you make the adjustments as you go. And I love working with good editors who have good ideas uh, because, I, you know, I, I don't consider that I have always the, the best and the perfect fine, uh, final idea. Um, so um, I, I love being able to talk stuff out with people. For me, a big part of the creative process, and I think I've learned this from working with animation, is just talking through it with really good, talented, creative people and coming up with something better. Um, so, so we made those adjustments as we went and, and in some ways, probably the biggest changes were just to go deeper instead of the one and done stories. Some of the stories are getting longer as we go along because we just, there was much more stuff that we wanted to get into in the course of the story. Like, uh, like this new one that we just finished is, um, uh, it's about a gunfighter. It's like a spiritual gunfighter who, mm-hmm. he comes to town and he's, is. his, his goal is to kill Killian, but he's here to kill Killian because Killian sent out a subconscious message to the universe saying that he wanted to die. And so the, uh, the, the gunman shows up, and, and in order to not get entangled in this, the, the, the karma of that, uh, the gunfighter works through other people that have uh, anger and ambival- ambivalent feelings towards Killian in order to kill him off. And so um, and that's, that's how uh, the story winds up going. And, um, uh, and it's, it got much more intense because we took two issues to do it. And, and we were, we were able to set up characters in this story that wind up playing bigger, significant roles in later stories. So we're approaching it much more as a series now, as opposed to a, a you know, a series of Twilight on episodes, which is kind of the way it was originally envisioned, but, but all it's doing is making things richer and deeper. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's going on with now that we're able to get into with Killian's wife, who um, winds up being a uh, kind of a guidepost for Chula as Chula gets older and uh, sends her in a direction more of being a, uh, a revolutionary who wants yeah. to take the planet back. And that harkens back to what she's because there's this mystery about Killian's wife that he she doesn't know about and she desperately wants to know because of the skeletons discovered in the second issue yeah Um, Sheila just keeps digging and digging and digging on this point because it just it has great resonance And, and, and we were able to get into that resonance in this this last two issues and why she was so angry at Killian and why she is able to be manipulated by the gunfighter when he comes into town. So just able to get into all of that kind of weird, unusual stuff and, and kind of the religion of the, of the planet, just little asides that I didn't expect to get into, like the fact that, a, that they worship a goddess instead of a god and, and that they have other uh, other ways of worshiping, that they're also, they're, they're in a future issue, Chila, against her wishes, goes to a spiritual immersion school, and winds up learning a lot of spiritual tricks that help her to, to look into the past and see Killian's past with his wife to find out more about the woman.
0: There's so many layers going on to find out that, like, oh, wait, so everything I've been reading, Killian doesn't really remember some of his past because yep. of what you revealed of how the humans uh, prep their soldiers for, yeah. for battle and yeah. it's so all these patchwork stuff i've seen up to issue you know well 8 now of his past and the wife and everything it's just i mean it's really it's not it's a tease but it's actually really character motivated character driven i guess is the right term character driven uh because of what you guys re- you know reveal i think in 7 about the the doctor and and the patchwork and how they prep soldiers and stuff like this so I mean, for me, as a reader, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm seeing something, a layer and layer of this onion. It's really an onion. And, you you know, even though it might just seem like, oh, it's a Western in space, but there's a depth to things um, that you're unfolding. But, and it's a different kind of storytelling than just the one, you know, the the episodic aspect that you sounded like you were interested in trying and did do a few times. So... It, but I yeah. guess you seem to be having a lot more fun with the, the world building, too.
1: Yeah, I'm, <laughs> world building and I'm, I'm more of a character guy anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I love those old um, one and done stories that I used to watch when I was a kid. But I'm definitely much more of a character person. Well, so I, I, get a, oh, I get oh. a bit of both. I do get a bit of both. Well,
0: so you're, you're still, I mean, you're in animation. I mean, I always yeah. heard this thing, like in pitching, it's like the episodic seem to be like a, a bad word. You know, and it was all character-driven, character-driven, which I understand. Um, I was, you know, there was one, a light bulb literally went off over my head watching an episode of Mad Men and realizing that that's, you know, it's all pure character-driven. I don't think I've seen a show that, like Mad Men, that's just pure character. Um, Yeah. You know, uh, there's really, at times, there were no goals to be achieved in any of the episodes. You're still getting that. I mean, Hollywood seems to be motivated on that. Is that is that true, or
1: uh, you mean in Hollywood in general?
0: Well, I mean, I just what you're getting back from people while well, you're there will, which I, and as you just said, you're a very character focused um, writer too. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry about the sort of wacky question.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It's a good question actually, because it's one that we struggle with, all have struggled with quite a bit in the business where particularly with streaming services the way that they are now so much of it is about the binge watch you know uh-huh. about people watching six or eight episodes almost as a continuous movie as opposed to we've had these conversations where do we create episodic series because the, the original idea for that was I mean when I was younger everything was episodic yeah. You may have had characters within an episode that had specific personalities, but and they had their scenes and their moments, but whatever happened to them in an episode did not necessarily carry forward into the next episode at all. They were all very story-centric. And the idea behind that was that eventually all of those episodes would be stripped uh, or put into a, 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 what's called a, a syndication strip so that mm-hmm. you could run them in any sequence. They didn't have to be run in order. Yep. You could just you could hand it off to, to an intern to have them load it up load up the videotape and and run it at two o'clock on a on a Friday. And it didn't matter if they chose episode 121 or if they chose episode 16. They could pick either one of them. And that's why you could trust it to an intern because you didn't have to pay very much. So now <laughs> we're in a situation where everybody wants to see a longer, deeper, kind of richer storyline. And so we we, we were, when I started at DreamWorks, uh, when they had just sort of sold this, all of this stuff to Netflix, we were still sort of navigating that. And so when I was working on Crudes there was a lot of discussion about whether or not we do it as episodic or whether or not we do it as a continuous, long-running series. And some people have gone that way entirely, so that you cannot watch a, a, an episode of television independently of the other eight or ten um, and other people have continued to do stories, and some people have done a kind of a blending of the two. And I think that's a kind of where we wound up was a, a blending of the two, where you have uh, they, they do have a, a, a an episodic conclusion that the story comes to. Just like I said, because I I come from that background, that's much more interesting to me. But you also do have the character bits that continue to run serialized through through an entire. Um, through an entire story so what i had set up initially was that idea that you could run these episodes in any order and it wouldn't really matter you could just pick up a comic read one and not worry about if you would read one before or read one after but we very quickly got to the point where that's not really so much what the marketplace is anymore even in comics people are looking for the at least a five issue trade that they can read in one sitting that gives them a satisfying conclusion of some kind <clears throat> and that can mean individualized stories, but they still want some kind of a thread that runs through it from the beginning of, of the first issue to the, the end of the last
0: issue of what we are your training I, I don't know if you follow comics at all, but um, Marvel tried doing, um, uh, what is it, All Out Avengers, which was an attempt, and I, I think it worked, uh, to like recreate grabbing an issue off the spinner rack where you're jumping in, you know, and you might not have read the issue before or find the issue after. Um, I think they got a it feels like they got a bit of a cold feet because it's being spun into something else. But I was fascinated by the idea and I, I really, you know, I haven't read a Avengers book in a long time. So um I, I gotta go probably try reread it and maybe hopefully get Tom on the on the radio show and interview him about that idea because it it was interesting of like just being able to jump into stuff which I think sometimes I don't even start series because I can't just plop right into the middle of it anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of things I just avoid or like. Oh, I'll have to. I'll put it on the list for five years down the road.
1: I'm the same. I still haven't seen uh, Breaking Bad. I still haven't seen Breaking Bad (laughs) because I know it's a huge commitment. Yeah, and I I just haven't got the time or the energy to put into a massive commitment like that. Um, So. No, I get it. And and I, I would have there's a but there comes a part where I think, you know, you're I'm at that age now where that just that that ship may have sailed. That just that may not be the way stories are gonna go for quite some time, if ever again. Cause even now, I when I've seen reviews of Edgeworld, people are actually liking the fact that they're not so much the one and done stories. They like the idea that this is now the characters do sort of continue on and we're getting this sort of deeper, richer look into them. So, you know, maybe there's something, maybe that's just how it's, that's just how it's gone. Maybe that's just how people are going to look at things. That's how my son tends to look at things. Although at the same time, he loves Twilight Zone.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Short stories. Basically it's a short story of what, 20, 25 minutes or something. But when it comes to Edgeworld, are you thinking of a, because you do run in like what, five issues, a pop I mean do you have do you are you looking at this one to have an overall arc where there is sort of a storyline that pays off you know comes to a conclusion at the end of this run do you look at it that way of like I have five issues to tell a bigger you know bigger story yeah
1: I mean Pat and I originally had. When we made the pitch, Chip wanted us to have some kind of a conclusion that we were heading towards because he felt like that was the direction that things were going, that you have continuous, continuous stories that do reach some kind of a, an ending arc. That doesn't mean that there can't be another arc after that, but, but yeah, we do come to the end of – uh, not at the end of this five issues, but you know, God willing that we get the next five issues – um, we get to the end of the story of uh, basically starts off in issue three, where um, Killian uh, kills Chila, his father, uh-huh. and, and his best friend. And, and we get to the conclusion of that and how that reconciles by the end of uh, the 15th issue. And then at that point, it begins a whole different. Uh, type of series, or a whole different series that would con- could continue on for another 15, or however long we wanted to go, but, but that story, and the, st- the story with the historian, that stuff all winds wraps itself up uh, at the end of the uh, end of 15 issues. At least that's how we had planned it initially.
0: Uh, well, I have to ask you, seeing you are the first person I've had a chance to talk to who's working with Comixology after what just happened a couple, I think it's two months ago now, um, yeah. h- how do things look for you? For, the for us, system. yeah.
1: Um, at the moment, for us, things look the same. Uh, I've spoken to Bryce Gold, my editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, great guy, really supportive, uh, really really likes Edgeworld a lot. Uh, and he... We're, we're continuing through to the end of our contract. So um, it, there won't be any disruption and we'll continue to produce it. Um, so, uh, and all, you know, that includes anything else that might or might not be happening in the future. So, um, uh, at the moment, that doesn't look like it's changed. Now, I don't know how far that goes. Uh, you know, it, as, as we both know, I mean, you, you worked, you were out here with me working in television for a while, so, you know, <laughs> that, that it, things can change overnight. Yeah. Uh, Bob Iger can be the president of Steve and uh, CEO of Disney, uh, on a Sunday night in the middle of a, elton john concert (laughs) um so it it just things happen you just never know yeah
0: i i um had the greatest pitch i ever did and i was like you know the goal is to sell it in the room which you know that means six months of negotiations after but um i thought i had i thought i had knocked it out of the park i was like oh my god i don't believe i was you know from arriving in la to that moment i was like i never saw myself being able to just Bring it like that. And it seemed like everybody was excited, the execs, and they were going into another meeting. And that meeting, their agenda just completely changed, and they ended up passing on the show. But we hit yeah. all the check marks for what they were looking for at that moment. And then, you know, a half hour later, it didn't matter. You know? yeah. God, I wish I could tell you the number of times that's happened to me. <laughs> um, you lost man. out,
1: right? <laughs> I have. It's crazy, it's, and that's you know that's uh, that's part of this business is that the the turnover here is just insane. So you think you've got it all made, and then you know you go in the next day, and it, it, the, the receptionist isn't the same, and the executive that you're meeting with is gone. And it's just everything is just changed. It's all it's they call it churn. Yeah. It just churns over and over, but, uh, but yeah, I, I the, the, and the the couple of times that I've been lucky enough to sell something is, is when I, I've, I've actually come in right after the churn and the uh. new person is looking to, to, to do something that shakes things up. Yeah, uh, in fact, that's how, that's how I wound up selling War Machine when I did it, went to, uh, Marvel in the first place, mm-hmm. uh, I, I had sent Joe a sample just after he took over as editor in chief, and you know called me up a couple of days later and asked me to come in and work on that in Electra. So, um, but so it's 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 all in the timing, man. It's all in the timing. Man. And
0: also, it's, it's it, when it comes to Marvel, it, it helps that the the uh, inmates were running the asylum at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, and uh, um, but I'm not knocking it because I think that was one point where, like, wow, you know, there was some great, interesting. Stuff coming out of Marvel at the when Joe took over, you know.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's the thing is sometimes sometimes those are great, great, like golden opportunities where you can do something really fun and interesting and unusual. Uh, I mean, our mandate when I came in was that we were we were supposed to broaden out the marketplace. They wanted us to appeal to the everyday reader again instead of just comics fans. So um, we got to try some things that I never in a million years thought that they would ever let me do. And it was so yeah, it was terrific. Oh, really. I mean everybody has mixed feelings about it but I had a great time um, I
0: really enjoyed it when I was working at Marvel back then now with your toe in with comicsology with your toe in comics right now and if you know the whole thing with Amazon you know they're even though they're paying page rates and I you know have an idea of how much money per issue they're making because you're making full color books and and then you're there must be a deal you know that whatever the dark horse deal is for printing them but I mean, it's very small compared to what, you know, the money that Amazon makes, but it just feels like, you know, Chip left, um, you know, they just had a bunch of layoffs. It just like, it feels like this Hollywood churn has sort of infected comics in a way. But I mean, how do you, I mean, I guess one question is like, when you're, you're hearing this and you're seeing this, you know, when you wake up and whenever you read your news, do you, how do you just keep producing in writing, do you just, because you got a contract or do you just like, uh, maybe, you know, what keeps you going during points like this?
1: Well, I mean, for me, I'm old enough now that, that I've had some success. I mean, it's not like I've had a, a massive amount of success, but tripping the rift. A lot of people don't know it, but it was the number one, uh, number one television show for the first several episodes that it was on. Uh, sci-fi channel. So mm-hmm. I had some, it, things Things did quite well for us. Oh, and that's another great example of we went in and they got pregnant in the room. And then, you know, seven years later, they bought it. <laughs> <laughs> they know. So, uh, you, know, you know, those things could take forever. But, but for me, the way that I keep motivated is um, is that I've been lucky enough that the things that really get people excited and that really drive forward are the things that I did that were just for me. They were not the things that I did, chasing after some, uh, you know, trying to create the next Marvel superhero or trying to create the next anything uh, or trying to to follow a trend of some kind. You know, uh, nobody when Pat and I started working on EdgeWorld, I, I actually had to ask him if he really wanted to do it because nobody had bought anything that we'd done, and EdgeWorld seemed like it was the least marketable mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of all of our ideas, but. But he loved it. I was so super passionate about it. I had been for a really long time, so much so that i have been taking notes and writing little things about it for a number of years. Um, and this, it was the same way with Tripping the Rift. Nobody came to me and said, hey, we're looking for a really raunchy, edgy science fiction series that makes fun of Star Trek, Star Wars and anything else science fiction you can throw in there. Um Nobody, nobody was looking for it. And then nobody didn't want to buy it at one point. I mean, we had so many people that were fascinated and interested in it. Uh, and we would, or we would get meetings, like Fox called us in for a meeting and said, uh, Hey, we can't, there's no way we'd ever be able to run this, but if you guys got anything else that's cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> so even if, so getting motivated has never really been hard for me in a lot of ways, because I've, you know, the, when I'm, when I create something out of a whole cloth, it, if it doesn't sell itself, it opens doors. It gets me meetings. I've had so many great meetings for just the weirdest, craziest projects that I've done. My and ex-wife, I wrote a screenplay about the first woman major league baseball player. Nobody was looking for a script like that, but we met with everybody. Um, I wrote a, I wrote a, a what wound up being a kind of a precursor to Edge Edgeworld, the science fiction screenplay. And It it was one of those things that was way too expensive to meet, but I got to meet with Ridley Scott's people because he was looking for something to make that was, you know, science fiction again.
0: And and is that enough? That's enough to get you back, bring you back to the, you get your ass back in the seat the next morning, even though you're not getting a check, but just the meetings that come from a property... the meetings, the energy, the excitement that gets generated about them. Um,
1: it just, What it taught me early on was um, believe in your passion. If you're passionate about something, get it down, get it out there. Uh, because even if, because even if it doesn't, like we want up, you know, other shorts that we put together, like tripping the rift didn't sell initially, but Chris got a job at Pixar because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, you know, I was made a director on King of the Hill. So i those those things even if they don't wind up selling themselves they have they wind up having value in your life so yeah absolutely it's motivation because every time I sit down to write something and I feel like oh I haven't sold anything in such a long time but then I go yeah but every time I have it's because I did something on my own, you know? Yeah. Every time I tried to follow a trend, every time I've tried to Every time I've tried to create my own superhero or some other idea that everybody else has done to death, like some new children's show or what have you, nothing, nobody's interested. It just, it's just dead. It was a complete waste of time. so I have no motivation to to sit down and try to write um, you know the you know the next uh, i don't know uh, jaded alcoholic cop detective story. <laughs> <laughs>
0: God knows, (laughs) there's a bunch of those already out there, and yeah, and there's a whole pipeline full of them still. So, I mean, well, that's great. I mean, that's good to hear that um, it's not not the financial returns, because you know that you know, like Pat probably could be working, you know, at one of the big two or or whatever, you, you know, but for to sit down. Um, and you guys are willing to put times into something that was a long shot. You felt, personally, it was a long shot, but it ends up, you know, the right timing and everything. And now we have, you know, Edgeworld as a comic book series, you know, and yeah. to come back again, too. Because there's there's plenty of comicsology series that I, you know, never gets never get a second round. So yeah. you must have hit some numbers, and, you know, there was some success there. I mean, I don't know.
1: Yeah, at one point Chip was telling me that that was their best-selling original last year. Well, that's well, congratulations <laughs> that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was at least until Scott Snyder came in and then he blew us out <laughs> of the water. But, um, thanks, Scott. Appreciate that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, we've done, it's 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 done it's done well for them, and not only that, but they really they from what I understand they they like it internally. It's one of those books that everybody really just enjoys. So. Um, so, yeah, it's made it worthwhile. And Pat, you know, I, and it's funny because Pat, Pat and I joke about the fact that we're the only ones that we'll change stuff for. Like, I will rewrite an entire script because Pat will go, I don't know, it's not really working for me. And, or he'll redraw pages because, um, and I'll say, well, this wasn't really what I had in mind. He goes, oh, yeah, I know, it wasn't clicking for me either. And then he'll go back and he'll change everything. And he, he was telling me at one point, he was sitting at his desk. And he was trying to, to, to figure out the best way to, to draw this one particular scene because he wanted to get the right amount of detail into it. And he, but he, at the same time, he didn't want to take away from the emotion of the moment. And he said he looked up and he realized four hours had gone by. And he said, I've never done that. I've mm-hmm. never gotten so lost in my work. Not since, you know, like I, he said, I was a kid that, um, that I just, I'm, I'm just so passionate about it that I just lose track of time like that. And, uh, and he says, I'm just a machine. He says, I'll get up, I'll work, get my job done. I'll turn it in on time. And um, he and I laugh all the time because he says, you know, he says, I'll call you tomorrow at 1230. And I, on the dot, 1230, Pat, the phone rings. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's now at the point where he and I, I'll pick up the phone and he and I will just both be laughing because he's called me at exactly the same time <laughs> that he told me he was going to call me. But, um, so he's just, he's very, very good about deadlines and, and um, hitting stuff, but he'll rework stuff. He'll change things because this is something that we love and are passionate about so much. And it's not like we're getting paid any more for it than any other project that we've worked on. We're just, this is ours. We love this thing.
0: Well, yeah, it goes back to what you're saying that it, it yeah, you you've been taking notes over at the idea and then he comes on board and it just seems to, it was never about the money to begin with. It was about, you know, executing a vision in a, a wor- creating a world and telling stories that I guess both of you somewhere down the line is just really is grabs you, you know, yeah. it's, it's a part of you and, yeah. to, and, and to have that passion or a calling to tell one story, I guess that it gets, it is beyond the money, you know, totally. you know, it's that energy I was talking about, you know, yeah, because most pitches um, never succeed. They never get out of the room and, and if they ever get picked up, they never, see the light of day. Um, but there is some element that you feel like you've still moving the chains forward and you still have the opportunity to try to, you know, to tell a story to people and see if that story interests others. And, And that's really sort of what writers are all about is telling stories and that appeal to them, but somehow connects with others too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I promise to get you out. I think we we're running a bit long, but I was just wondering about with edge world. I'm glad that, you know, the comics things sound good with Comicsology still. And to see, you know, this round, um, what I mean, is there, I guess for somebody who might be listening for the first time, where would you say they should jump in? Should they try to get, you know, the, the beginning and go digital because of, you we've talked in the last podcast of how you write towards sort of the guided view um, yeah. Yeah. is what's, I guess, the purest or the best way to come to Edgeworld. Is it for during like comiXology or I, I guess I'm not going to get you to say don't ever pick up the Dark Horse edition. But <laughs> no, no, definitely not. No, please, <laughs> please pick up buy, the dark horse buy all and
1: versions.
0: <laughs> buy both, <laughs> and, and then give them as gifts too. But yeah, I mean, exactly. It's are you writing difference. with the guided view? In it feels like you still are. I mean, that's how I've been reading it. So, I mean, has it has it evolved for you a bit now that you're doing another story arc, another five issues, uh, and and you've been able to see how it and maybe get some feedback on how um, people are reading your book on on uh, tablets and stuff.
1: I think it would evolve further um, given the opportunity, but the weird thing about the weird thing about comicsology is that um, so many people read it as a comics page anyway on their computer. They don't, they don't, they don't use guided view. Oh. So for me, I mean, I love guided view because to me it's, it presents it in a way that I know we talked about this before and I don't like, I don't mean to repeat myself, but, it presents it in a way that is, is much more of a dramatic reveal. You can't see what's on the bottom right-hand corner of the next page. You can't see any of the surprises that are coming. But every panel gets revealed to you, and it, it helps to move the story forward in a specific way. I, Pat and I were surprised to find, even as much as we planned for Guided View, that when we were reading through the books after they had been converted to Guided View, we were surprised to find out that we laughed more uh, at jokes because because your eye is focused on that one image and you're focused on the one gag. So it makes it just makes it funnier because all the other distractions aren't in all the panels around it. Uh, and sometimes when you're reading stuff, you can sort of skip by some of the visuals to sort of get to the next word balloon. And you don't do that in guided. Oops. that. Because uh, in, in Guided View, you actually, you know, you read the whole, you, you just read the whole thing because it's it's sitting there focused in front of you. So yeah. my preference is for Guided View, uh, and I think the experience is better in Guided View, but, but we're, comics, and this is sort of the weird thing about con- comicsology for me, is that, and not to say anything bad about them, because I love them. They've been great to me. They've been really, really nice people to work with. Chip was fantastic, and I miss him, but um, I love Bryce. Bryce is tremendous. Uh, so it's it it's been a fairly seamless transition to working with Bryce but um, but the thing about comiXology is that they they were they were almost like hey you've got all the Marvel and DC superhero comics well get them digitally you know so you you don't have to take up so much room in your garage (laughs) (laughs) and so you could you could read them as guided view but most people are previously comic book fans and that's how they like to read them. That's how they've gotten used to reading. You know, I mean, one of the things that people used to tell me about not wanting to get comicsology was because, well, I want to read something on the toilet. It's like, really? That's your whole motivation for for comic books is you want to be able to sit on the toilet. Uh, So, so, so I'm looking at, I'm looking at this. It's, it's kind of like you're trying to convert people from one Form of entertainment that they love, and get them to understand a different form of entertainment that they love, and it's it's just really hard. It's a really hard thing. So, doing a science fiction book or a marketplace that has really been developed by uh, by either superheroes or by The Walking Dead, um, uh, it's it's it it's like it's kind of like dragging somebody along that doesn't necessarily want to go on this journey. You know, they like their comic books. <laughs> <laughs> you uh-huh. can't can't take that away from them. But on the other hand, there's things are now developing like like with webtoon where you can do this kind of scrolling thing with the, as you're reading the, the pages and and it's like a linear infinite canvas and, oh, and yeah. people yeah they're perfectly fine with that. But that's the only way that it's offered. Like if you got if comics comicsology offered only guided view, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you right now that the the comics for guided view would by necessity get so much better. So it's like if on Webtoons, they've figured out that, okay, this is our infinite canvas. We don't get to do comic book pages in Webtoons. We have to do the infinite canvas. How can we use the infinite canvas to make it the coolest that it can be? So you kind of have to do, but but, you know, comiXology is all about letting people read the experience (laughs) the way they want to. So people tend to read them as comic book pages. That's me pontificating, and I apologize for kind of going off. But that's sort of what's
0: going on. Well, Chuck, I know you know uh, speaking your opinion at times gets you in trouble. So maybe we no. should do this. <laughs> uh, You know, the mo- most unwanted man in comics about ten years ago. I think you own that. You know. <laughs> Yeah, no,
1: I, I hope that I've grown beyond those young, immature days, but uh, who knows, I don't know, ask me
0: about a comic book that I hate, and I Can I get myself into trouble. Chuck Austin predicts the demise of comics, because no, <laughs> nobody likes Guided View. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to help you out on Make Your Life a Little <laughs> Easier.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. You want to give my home address while you're at it, too? Here, buy pitchforks and, and torches here. <laughs> and then t- t- drop by Chuck's house. He's going to be home.
0: <laughs> you know, the things. more things change, the more they stay the same. So, <laughs> that's true. It really is, yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, I'm going to let you uh, – let you, let you take your evening back. I really appreciate catching up, and we should talk offline a little more often. I suggest everybody either read it on Comixology or pick up the Dark Horse edition. And so, you know, Chuck's not just doing it because he likes doing it. He actually gets some money for it this time. But Edgeworld is a lot of fun, and, you know, you guys, if you have a Prime Amazon Prime membership, what the heck, give it a shot, you know? yeah please I mean, go on. it's free right? <laughs> yes you've already you've already paid for it in one way or another so <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, very true
0: <laughs> well I, I'm glad I could help you end your second career in comics Chuck but I'm looking forward for you writing more things and looking forward for more issues of Edgeworld so you know thank you okay thank you. Appreciate I'll, it. I'll be talking to you later okay